If you guys aren't familiar with what Elliot was talking about, camp meeting is a very special event for the Korean American Adventist churches in the West Coast. So every year in, uh, at the end of July, August, we all gather together at a school in Napa Valley called PUC, and we have a week of worship, of community, of spiritual growth. Um, and so we have uh, different pastors running things. Pastor Jonathan runs the junior high department. And I had the, uh, the privilege and the opportunity to be the speaker for the junior high age group. And I spoke in the evenings, and man, it was, it was such a blessing, it was amazing. And uh, before I continue, there's a plug and an important announcement that we need to give. Uh, our Church Rock Fellowship is going to be the hosting church next year at that event. So um, July 28th to August 4th, everyone, please ask for time off and vacation. We need everybody, we need everybody. Uh, we're gonna make it amazing, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, but we'd love to have you guys all join in. And, and it's not just because, oh, it's a service we have to do. We hosted this back in 2017, and it was a really powerful experience just for our church alone to be working together uh, for a common goal. And so want to encourage all of you guys to support. Um, it is the Korean American churches, but we'd love to have everyone. You don't have to be Korean, all right? Everyone is welcome. Like, in fact, I made a logo where I took out the K. I'm like, no, we don't need the K anymore. Everyone is welcome, and I, I'm reinstituting the logo this year. So uh, we want to invite everyone to come and support and help out. Now, uh, so I was a speaker um, for the junior high department, which, which meant that I spoke every evening, uh, Monday through Friday, um, for, you know, about 40, 30, 40 minutes each night. Now, uh, this is kind of like a transparency moment, time to share kind of where I'm at. Um, it was an amazing week, guys. It was an amazing week. We ended the, the week with... Uh, Five baptisms, five baptisms, which was awesome. I was like super excited to do that. Um, but I'll be honest with you guys, uh, I came home and then this week I was thinking about preparing another sermon for today. And uh, I don't know if you guys will like this, but I wasn't thrilled. I wasn't thrilled. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't like, I can't wait to preach this week. Um, I, was, I was tired. It was tough. I was like, oh man, this is, this is hard. What do I talk about? I just like, you know, and, and then when I tell people that, and I share that with our small group on Tuesday night, and everyone looked kind of disappointed in me, but not because, like, you don't want to preach, but it was like, why, would you, why didn't you just reuse sermons for the kids? Why didn't you just, like, recycle? You have, like, tons of sermons. You probably could have preached one you preached at this church, and our kids probably wouldn't have remembered, right? They probably wouldn't have. But, you know, there's just, like, something about that moment. Like, when I get there, I thought about it. I was tempted, guys. I was tempted to, like, go through my files and be like, all right, I didn't preach this one in, like, six years. There was no way anyone remembers this one. I'll just do this one, right? And then it's probably a five-part series. Maybe I'll preach one for my previous churches, right? Definitely no one heard that. It was before the Internet, you know what I mean? Like, nobody knows what I preached before. I'll just do that. I, I was tempted, but, like, I just feel like, no, I can't do that. Like, God wants something fresh for them. So every day I wrote new sermons Five new sermons, brand new sermons, every day. Preach it, right? So I come home, and I, the word to describe how I felt is drained, drained. I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't angry. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't anxious. Nothing like that. Just like drained, you know? And there was like a, an element of physical tiredness, but it wasn't really that. It was like this, like, I poured out, like, all I got last week, and, like, I don't know what else is there right now. I'm going to have to dig deep, you know. So, like, that's kind of where, where I was at last week as I was kind of thinking about what to, to preach on. And then as I was, like, thinking and reflecting kind of my own current, like, condition where I was at, I remember that there is 
a teaching and there is something in scripture, there is something in, in life that our God has given us that deals directly with what I'm dealing with and struggling with. So this message today is, is really like, it's for me. You know, it's kind of where I'm at and it's something that I need to learn and it's a challenging, but there's something God has, has given us that deals specifically with the reality that when we give and we work and we're tired, like we will burn out, God has given us something for that, because he knew that we would do that. And it's called the Sabbath. And it's called the Sabbath. And here's what I'm realizing as I thought about the Sabbath. You know, God gave the Sabbath commandment to the Israelites in the book of Exodus at Mount Sinai. But he gave the Sabbath commandment way before that during creation. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the Sabbath commandment was not for a specific people group. It was for all humanity. It was for all humanity. Right? And I know that many of us think of Sabbath in like a religious sense. The Sabbath is a religious thing that we have to do. It is something that God has given us as we perform our religious practices. This is something we do. But as I'm looking at life and thinking about life and studying the scriptures, what I realize is that Sabbath is not a religious practice. Sabbath is a survival skill. It is a gift that God has given us so that we will learn how to survive in this world. Yes, it's something we do as a part of our faith, but it's not necessarily religious practice because he gave it to humanity before religion ever existed. Before there was any priests or temples, before there were any sacred spaces, before there was any rules and regulations about how you're supposed to obey God and how you're supposed to please him, before there were any sacrifices, he gave the Sabbath. Before there was any indication there's religious systems, he gave the Sabbath in creation. So the Sabbath initially is not a religious thing that we're supposed to do to please him. The Sabbath is a gift, and it is something he's given us so that we can learn to survive and thrive and live life in this world and as we struggle with the challenges of living in this world. So today, this, today's message is, is we're going to be looking at the Sabbath, but we're going to be looking at it as what has God intended the Sabbath to be rather than how do we keep it. That's usually what we focus on. But what did God intend the Sabbath to be? And it's beautiful, and it's deep, and it's rich, and it's something that I think a lot of us need to hear. Especially if you, kind of, if you can relate to the time when Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. If you read this verse and you're like, that sounds amazing, then the sermon is for you. Summer vacation is not vacation, is what I've realized. Summer vacation is busy, isn't it? Like some of you guys are busier during summer vacation than you are during the school year. And so just because we're in this time of summer, we have one month maybe before school starts, we were thinking that we're gonna relax, we want vacation, have fun and chill and all that kind of stuff. Like we just have this tendency to just fill up our schedules. And even when we're supposed to rest and take a break from work, we still find ourselves being tired, burdened, and weary. And we're in need of rest. So in work, we struggle with this. And even in play, we struggle with this. So let's pray right now. Get into this word and hear what God has to say to us about the Sabbath. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your teaching. Uh, this is something that I think we need to be reminded of weekly, which makes sense because you gave us the Sabbath weekly. But a lot of times we forget. And so I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this place who feels burdened, heavy laden, weary, God, that we would begin to 
We begin to appreciate the fact that you understand that we have this in us, and you've given us a mechanism, a rhythm, so that we can be saved from ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would restore us today and on the Sabbath. Let me pray. Amen. So the Sabbath commandment was given two times in the Old Testament. You know, most people think of Exodus chapter 20. That's when God gives the Ten Commandments, and it's there. But there's a second time that God gives the Sabbath commandment. And what I want to look is I want to look at the commandments, and you're going to see that it begins with the application, it begins with the practice, and then it's followed by the why. So this is what you do, and then afterwards it says this is why you do it, both times. And when we look at it, we're going to see that there's actually something really, really cool and something really, really beautiful about the reason why God gave us the Sabbath. Again, not a religious practice, but a a survival skill. This is what he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Again, what you do. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. That's the what, what you do. And then the why follows it in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed, that's a key word, blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now when I've taught this um, in baptismal studies or other people, I say, look, the Sabbath is connected to creation. So on Sabbath, remember that God is our creator, right? Right. And then I was like, that's it, done. Sounds good. Yeah, God is my creator, so I'm going to obey him and I'm going to keep the Sabbath. But he connects the, the Sabbath commandment to creation for a very specific reason. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 to the time where God created the Sabbath during the story, the week of creation. And I want you to pay attention. Look for that word blessed, okay? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed, he word, the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the word here that God uses or the, the writers use is the word barak, which means blessed. But what's important is not the meaning of the word barak. It, it's not important that it means blessed. You guys know that that's simple. There's nothing crazy to think about when it comes to the word blessed. What's important is when this word Barak is used in the creation story and what it is used in association with, okay? So in the creation story, in Genesis chapter 1, God Baraks three things. Genesis 1 and the beginning of 2. God blesses or Baraks three things. And I want to look at these verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. God blessed them. He Baraked them. Them are the animals, He's talking to animals right now. God blessed them, God barak them, and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the, water in the, fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and the morning, and there was morning the fifth day. He blessed the animals and says, Be fruitful and increase in number. The second thing God baraks or blesses is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, God blessed them. Them here is not animals. Them here is humanity. God blessed humanity. God blessed them and said to them, Again, very similar commandment. Be fruitful, and multi- be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So that's the second thing God barocks. The second thing God blessed. The third thing is what we read in Genesis chapter 2. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What does this mean? Put, it, put two and two together. In 
in the first occurrence and the second occurrence, God blesses something and then he tells it to bring forth life. Give life, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. Have babies, lots of babies, guys, lots of life. We need to fill up this earth with a bunch of life. So do that. So occurrence one, animals, full of life, bring forth life. Occurrence two, bring forth life, you people. And then he says he blessed the Sabbath, indicating God had an intention for what the Sabbath was supposed to do. In the same way that the animals were to bring forth life, and the humans were to bring forth life, the Sabbath was blessed in order for it to bring forth life. The reason why God gave us the Sabbath is because he needed us to have a time where we would be filled with life once again. The Sabbath was meant to be a life-giving day, a life-giving time. The Sabbath was meant to be a time where we rested, not because God said we rested, because he says, I know you need to be rested and you need to be restored and filled with life again. That's why I'm giving you the Sabbath. It's not some rule that I need you to follow. It's something I'm giving you because I know that you will work hard and you will burn yourselves out by trying to amass and gain and you're going to work and you want to build your life and all that stuff. You need to pause one day because you need life. And because every day you work, you're going to be sucking the life out of yourself. So I'm going to put it into the rhythm of creation. I'm going to put it into the rhythm of our weeks so that you will rest, so that I can pour life into you. The Sabbath was meant to be a life-giving thing. Now, I know for some of you, it's not. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes Sabbath is very challenging. It's hard to get the kids and the family to church. There's activities and programs, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it is not life-giving. Sometimes it is life-giving. But I want you to understand the intention that God had in instituting something called the Sabbath. It was so that you would have a way to be restored and filled with life after long days of work and toil. And so what's interesting to think about this is then if we then are able to understand and follow and get in line with this rhythm, God has said, then you will be fruitful. This is how you live life. If you would just follow this law, follow this, this practice, this way of life where you rest in me. Uh, John Mark Homer, a non-Adventist pastor, Sunday church pastor, he wrote this in a book called uh, Garden City. The creator God is inviting us to join him in this rhythm, the rhythm of work and rest. In this rhythm, the interplay of work and rest. And when we don't accept his invitation, we reap the consequences. What he's saying here is God put into the rhythm of life and the rhythm of reality this work and rest situation. And if we don't and we reject that and say, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to follow my own way, I'm going to work hard all the time. I'm going to build my own life. Then I'll be happy. He says we will reap the consequences. And these are the consequences that he lists out. These are some of the consequences. Fatigue, burnout, anxiety, depression, busyness, starved relationship, worn down immune systems, low energy levels, anger, tension, confusion, emptiness. These are the signs of a life without rest. Some of you can identify with these. Some of you guys feel these right now. Some of you guys have been struggling with this for a long, long time. There's probably a lot of different factors for the reason why you feel this way. But one thing we have to think about is are we living in line with the rhythm that God has built into reality and built into our own bodies and into our lives? 
So, so the, the, the Sabbath is supposed to bring forth life, but, but why, right? Like why would just like 24 hours of, of ceasing activity or ceasing work, how is that supposed to like do something to us to bring forth life? In my research, I came across this cool book. This book is called Of Sound Mind. Of Sound Mind, the subtitle is How Our Brain, I can't really read it, How Our Brain Constructs a Meaningful Sonic World by Nina Krauss. Nina Krauss is a neuroscientist, neuroscientist, an MIT neuroscientist who specializes in the brain and sound. That's crazy, right? Uh, she specializes in the brain and sound and hearing. And she wrote this book, and I read an article with excerpts from her book about how, like, rhythm and music is a part of who we are. And we have this built-in sense of rhythm, and it, it made a lot of sense to me. So I want to share some of the, the thoughts that she had from this book, because I think they speak to this, this challenge of living according to the rhythm of creation and the rhythm of life. You know, she talks about how every society, every culture in history has music and rhythm. Every single one. And everyone, like, knows, there's something in us that knows that this rhythm is important. For example, if you have a baby that is crying and you need to soothe the baby, how do you soothe the baby? Rhythmically, don't you? You would do this. One, two, three, four. When I, when I, when Miles was young, I had my own kind of, like, rhythm, right? I had this, like, one, two, Three, four, this is what I do, right? This is how you soothe a baby, softly, gently, rhythmically. Nobody soothes the baby like, no one does this, right? Like, who's going to do, if you do this, the person's going to take the baby away from you. That's called, like, you know, you watch videos in the hospital, like, don't shake your baby, right? Like, that's basically, this is not soothing at all. Like, you would never soothe a baby like this. Something that in you knows to soothe the baby, you got to be gentle and rhythmic, back forth, back and forth. And so um, it, it, she talks about how in societies, like people would associate sounds and rhythms with work. And this is what she says. She says, repetitive or complex work engenders rhythmic accompaniment. So when you do repetitive or complex work, it kind of like naturally wants you to bring in rhythm. In some cases to break the monotony because it's like a boring job and others to actually help you perform the work better. That in, in increasing the rhythm or bringing rhythm to it increases the productivity or the ability to do the work. And I want to share a quick video that she talks about of, a, of, these, of a Ghanan, a West African uh, postal, post office, right? And how in the work that they do, they incorporate rhythm. This is really cool. Just listen to it. Um, listen to what this guy does as he's like stamping these letters. All right, that's cool, good, thank you. All right, so like, that's, that's really cool, right? Like, dang, man, that's a sick beat, dude, <laughs> at that post office. Uh, I can't do that. But like, he, he's, he's doing this monotonous work of just stamping letters, but he incorporates rhythm to it. Maybe it makes it more fun, maybe it helps him focus, I don't know, but, but we all understand that. You know, when you're doing something monotonous, and you've seen people like, when, when, um, when, when crew athletes, the boat, the boating people, Right? When they're rowing their boats, they have a rhythm, right? Boom, boom. I don't know how to do it, but something like that, right? Well, when she talks about in civilization, when they would have to bring hammers and crush rocks, they would do it in rhythm. Have you ever seen the, the, uh, the, the people make mochi with the Japanese hammer thing? You know? That's really cool. It's super fast, and they have like a ba-ba-ba-ba-ba rhythm because it helps us. There's something about rhythm that helps us. She talks about an experiment 
about how rhythm actually helps our relationships and how rhythm will affect how you feel about other people. Isn't that crazy? This is what she said. There was an experiment where the experimenters would sit down with the person and they would talk and explain the experiment. But while they did it, they would have a metronome going click, 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 click. And in the experiment, they would ask the student or the person to tap along with the metronome as they're talking and giving the instructions. So the, the student, uh, the, the subject has to tap. And what they did in the experiment is the experimenter explaining it would either, number one, do nothing and just explain the experiment, or number two, tap on beat in, syn in synchronization with them, or number three, they would tap off beat. And, so they would, and then they would give them a survey and explain you know, how they felt about them. This is what they found in the, the experiment. When the experimenter tapped at the same rate, the rating given in response to how likable was the experimenter was higher. The extent to which a person synchronizes with an experimenter affects the person's opinion of the likability of their experimenter. That's super interesting, right? So if you want someone to like you, you guys just need to like start tapping together and just like doing things in rhythm, right? It affects our relationships. And so this whole book is really about how rhythm is built into us. And she, I have two more quotes that I want to share with you guys. She says, what happens when our rhythm is like, our internal natural rhythm is like busted up or, or destroyed, or the word she uses is violated. She says, if our rhythmic expectations are violated, our brains behave in a different manner because of our inherent internal sense of rhythm. So think about this for the topic that we're talking about today. God has built into each and every one of us an internal sense of rhythm from creation, work, rest, Work, rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. He's built, this, he's built us into who we are as human beings. When that is violated, our brains begin to change and we begin to become different. Maybe that's where some of the pain and tension we have because we're not aligned with the rhythm of creation and the rhythm of reality that God has given to us. She even goes so far as to say this. Rhythm in the brain have been called out as a basis for consciousness itself. I actually don't even know what that means. Maybe Ernie can explain what that means. I have no idea what this means, but it sounds really important, right? That there's something in us that needs rhythm. And when we are off rhythm, offbeat in our lives, we suffer the consequences. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to create this rhythm for you. Just get in line. And when we have something, when we have a decision to, you know, the, the phrase is march the beat of our own drum, march the beat of our own drum, we will face the consequences. If we reject and we resist the rhythm that God has built into creation and into us as well. The second time God talks about Sabbath is in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a Greek word. If you break it up, actually deutero means two or second and nomos means law. So actually Deuteronomy is the second law. And so in Deuteronomy, they're repeating the law to the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. So it's like, before you begin a new life, a new kingdom, in a new place, a new society, I need to remind you guys of all this whole thing, what this is all about. And so Moses explains the law once again. And in Deuteronomy 5, he repeats the Sabbath commandment, but there is a huge, huge difference. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 14. Uh, Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Again, the practice, this is what you do. 
followed by the why. What's the reason that God wants us to do this? This time it's different. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In Exodus, it was, I have built into reality a rhythm. I am the creator. Follow that rhythm. Right? That's going to be the best thing for you. In Deuteronomy, he says, I'm giving you the Sabbath because once you were slaves in Egypt. And this is what he's saying here. What God is saying in this commandment, Deuteronomy, is, hey, guys, remember Egypt? You remember what Egypt was like? Remember what your parents told you Egypt was like? Like, you guys were all slaves. You remember, you remember what that was like? You were slaves. In Egypt, you had no rest. In Egypt, you had to work all the time. You had no breaks. You had no rest. That's what Egypt was like. Remember that? Remember when you were someone else's property and someone owned you, that you had no freedom and you could only do what your slave master said you could do? Remember that kind of life that you lived? That's how Egypt was. Remember how you were valuable based on what you could produce and how you would perform. That's what Egypt was like. If you were a slave that could make 100 bricks, you were more valuable. If you were a slave that could only make 50, 50 bricks, you were less valuable. If you could only make three, people didn't even want you. Remember that value system? That was Egypt. Remember what Egypt was like? God is saying, I want you to remember what Egypt was like. Because now we're going to a new place. Do not go back to Egypt. Remember the life that you had in Egypt? I'm giving you a new way of life, one that has rest built into the schedule. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't live life like you did in Egypt when you were just a producer, when you were, ba when you were valued based on your performance. Don't go back to Egypt when you live a life without any rest. And the reason you live life with no rest is because you were a slave. Don't go back to that life. I freed you and delivered you from that life. Now as we go into a new country, as you become a new people, a new kingdom, a new civilization, let's not take Pharaoh and Egypt and bring it with us into that place. I freed you from that. Forget that. That is in the past. You don't need that anymore. But like, how many of you guys would describe your lives like that? I can no rest I just do what my boss is telling me to do. You know, I'm stretched thin. I just work and work, and I'm valued based on my performance and my productivity. You, some of you live in Egypt, and God says you don't have to live in Egypt. I've given you the Sabbath, so you don't have to live in Egypt anymore. It's a sign and a declaration of a new way of life that he has built into reality for you and for me. Like, this is, this is so awesome when you think about that. He's like, remember when in Egypt, there was always more bricks to make, you know? There were always more buildings to build. There was always more, more, more work to be done. There was never enough. That is the word. That is, that is the sign of Egypt, this lack of enough. If you feel like you always are striving for more and have a sense of, I don't have enough, I am not enough, you are in Egypt, but you are called to be free. You were called out of Egypt to know that you don't need more and that you are enough in and of yourself. But we live and strive for more in this world. There was a study a few years ago by the Harvard Business School. 
I did this study. Actually, before I said, do you guys remember that study that came out in 2010 where it said, like, if you really want to be happy, all you need is, like, $70,000? Do you guys remember that study? Like, all these pastors were like, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to talk about that in church. I did that. I've done that a couple times. Remember that study? So, guys, you know, all you need is 70000 That's all you need to be happy. And I remember talking to small groups about that, and people were like, mm, I don't know about that one. Let's talk about that a little bit. And a lot of people were, like, questioning that and da-da-da-da, right? So... Let's ignore that one, right? Because maybe you guys don't really accept that, that you need more than $70,000 to be happy. There was a study done by Harvard Business School. They interviewed 4,000, okay, 4,000 millionaires. Okay, now we're, not, we're like way past $70,000. We're in the million-dollar range, right? They interviewed 4,000 millionaires. There's a couple billionaires in there. And they asked some questions about their happiness. All right, so you got no excuses depending on the results of this experiment, right? So there are 4,000 millionaires asked them about their quality of life and their happiness, for those who said they were happy with the amount of money they had, again, we're in the millions, the number of people among 4,000, 13% of millionaires said they were happy. 13%. It's about 600 out of 4,000 millionaires said they were actually happy. That's a really, really small number, right? It's a really small number. And then here's more, 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 I don't know if it's worrisome or concerning. They said, they asked the, the other ones, out of you, 87%, how much more do you need to have to be happy? And last week, I shared this, this, this study with the junior high kids. And guys, I found out something. I was wrong. that I misquoted this article. Because what I told them last week was that, according to the study, the other millionaire said, I need 10 times as much money as I have now to be happy. That's actually wrong. I reread the study. I reread the, 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 the findings. They said among those people who are unhappy, when they asked them, how much more do you need? They said the average was 1,000% of what they have now in order to be happy. And we strive for enough. Like, that's our world. That's Egypt. More bricks. More buildings. More stuff. More. I need more. So I got to work more because I got to have more. But Sabbath... Sabbath is a seal. Sabbath is a reminder for the people of God that you don't have to go back to Egypt, that you don't need more, that you have enough, that you are enough. And it is, and this is really cool, Sabbath in Deuteronomy is not just a, a, a way to survive and a way to live life happy and, and, and filled with life and stuff like that. Sabbath is a, is a declaration of war, of resistance against the ways of Egypt. You keep the Sabbath because you say, I'm not going back there. I'm not going back to that way of life. I'm not going to work myself to the bone to prove myself to other people, to look good in front of people. I'm going to keep the Sabbath because I don't need more. I'm going to defy the systems of Egypt. I'm going to defy the economy of Egypt. I'm going to defy the way of life of Egypt. That's what Sabbath is in Deuteronomy. He says, when we go into this new land, let us actively resist the temptation to go back to Egypt in our minds, in our hearts, in our way of life. Why? Because we have enough. Because we have God. That's why we have enough. I don't need to go back to Egypt. I don't need more bricks. I don't need more buildings because I have Jesus in my life. See, Sabbath is a way of celebrating enoughness. And I know enoughness is not a word. But this is what I'm learning right now. Sabbath is a way of celebrating enough. I have enough. I am enough. I don't need to buy more stuff. I don't need to earn more. I don't need to have the latest thing. I don't need to earn God's love. I don't need to earn his favor. He loves me. He looks upon me. I am his child. 
I don't have to keep up with other people. I don't, have to, I don't have to look good in front of people. I have enough. I am enough. That's what the Sabbath is about. And so in my life, I'm like looking about the way I've lived my life and the way I've scheduled things. I'm like, man, I, I need this more, more than anyone. And, and, and I don't know why, but this statement that John Mark Comer had in his book, this really stood out to me. And I felt like some of you guys needed to hear this. What he says is, God is not a workaholic. God is not a workaholic. He's a Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath-giving, Sabbath-commanding God who rests and delights in his creation. He's not a workaholic. So here's my question. For those of you who are, why are you? If your heavenly father, your God, your creator is not a workaholic, why are you a workaholic? Why do you feel the need for more, more, and more? So as we close, I'm just reminded of like Sabbath is a gift. It is, a, it is not a religious tool. It is not something God gave us because like here's how you're going to prove your allegiance to me. Here's how you're going to make me happy. And this is when, when Jesus says the Sabbath was not made for man, man for the Sabbath. That's what he means. The Sabbath wasn't given so you can prove or show that you love me. The Sabbath was given for your sake because you have a tendency to go back to Egypt. So as we, as we celebrate the Sabbath, as we celebrate enoughness, because you are enough, you have enough, you got God, you got community, you got everything you need. Like, I truly believe that. I just want to remember these two statements. Like, remember these as we have Sabbath. I have enough, and I am enough. You have enough, and you are enough. You don't need more. You don't need to have to fight and struggle. Let's, let's live in the promised land. Let's live in the kingdom of God. Let's leave Egypt and leave Egypt in the past. We don't have to go back to that way of life. There's a rhythm in reality that God has built into us and into the fabric of this universe. We just need to get in line, and then he can fill you with life. If you're empty, if you're empty, if you're struggling and you're just like drained like I felt, this is what we need. This is what we need, to remember this God who's given us this beautiful, beautiful thing called the Sabbath. You are enough, and you have enough. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, thank you for reminding me of these two very important truths. You know, and, and, and I know, and, and as I reflect on kind of my own experiences, all the scheduling, all the stuff, all the experiences that I want to have and I want my kids to have, all of that, Man, it's just like extra. We have enough, Lord, because we have you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to eliminate. I pray that you would help us to defy the economy and the lifestyle and the philosophy of Egypt. Let us not go back into a lifestyle of slavery, but instead live in freedom and live in life today. In your name we pray. Amen.